Friends, it's time to rock. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, our epistle reading from the lectionary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to see and hear and do your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We were down at a beach called Shimoda in Japan and had gone way around the bend to look at some caves. But the tide was coming in fast and the water was rising fast on the sand. The only safety was to run as quickly as possible to get up on the rocks. So we ran and jumped with our hearts racing up onto a big rock in order to get out of the way of danger into safety. The tide of sin always comes up suddenly and threatens to engulf us. And the only sure way to get out of danger is to get off the shifting sands of this life and our own resources and to do as the Apostle Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians, and that is to stand on the rock. Stand on the rock. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And Paul there says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. This is a verse you'll probably never hear in a Baptist church. This is a verse you probably don't look at normally in any church. But notice here that we see there were sacraments in the Old Testament. Baptism was in the Old Testament and baptism in the Old Testament was baptism. Notice here, it's Moses' baptism. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. But in reality, Moses' baptism was God's baptism. Ultimately, look what happened here. Moses' baptism in the cloud and in the sea. Who was the cloud? It was the presence of God that was the cloud, that went with the people of God and protected them from Pharaoh's army. Who's the one who parted the sea so that the people of God could pass through? It was God that did that as well. So we see that ultimately the baptism of Moses was God's baptism. The Red Sea passage, we're told here, was a baptism. Now notice who's baptized in this baptism. Jews were baptized, obviously. The people of God who had been down in slavery in Egypt, who'd been set free, come to the cusp of the Red Sea. It parts and they pass through. Jews passed through the baptism of the Red Sea. But also Gentiles passed through this sea as well. You remember there was a mixed multitude. There was a number of Gentiles who saw God's plagues being cast out on Egypt who saw God's mighty power and his protection on the people of God. And they said, we want to come with you. And so the mixed multitude, Gentiles, also passed through the Red Sea baptism. There were also unfaithful Egyptians who passed into this baptism as well. Pharaoh's army went down into the sea, and then the sea collapsed on them. So in reality, they had a baptism of immersion. But for the people of God, as they passed through, the Psalms tell us that rain fell down from above, that they were sprinkled from heaven. Who else was baptized? Old people were baptized. Men were baptized. Women were baptized. Infants were baptized in this Red Sea baptism. Baptism was a passage from death to life. 
Baptism was passage from death to life. The people of God lived in a state of death, in slavery, in Egypt. They're standing at death's door with Pharaoh's army coming up right behind them when they pass through the waters and to the other side. It is death to life. Baptism was passage from death to life. And friends, baptism is passage from death to life. We saw a baptism this morning. It symbolizes our dying in Christ and rising new, resurrecting in his resurrection. And friends, this baptism through the Red Sea was repeated. Did you know that? In Psalm 66, verse 6, kids, listen up. The psalmist here says this, he turned the sea into dry land. He turned the sea into dry land. That's a reference to the Red Sea passage. But notice what he says next here. They passed through the river on foot. So we've got the passage through the Red Sea on one side. We've got them passing through the river on foot. You see, in reality, it was the same thing. It was another baptism. And what happened when they passed through the Jordan River? The entire generation of Israelites who were unfaithful passed away, died off in the wilderness. A new generation has risen up, and they come to the cusp of the promised land. They come to the far shore of the Jordan River, looking into the promised land. And the priests come down, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And when their feet touch the river, it parts just like the Red Sea. And all the people pass through. All the people pass through. All are baptized through the Jordan River. Going on to verse 3, 1 Corinthians 10. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. There were sacraments in the Old Testament. The Lord's Supper was the supper in the Old Testament as well. Now they had quail to eat. But their primary archetypical food and drink was manna and water. Manna and water. Bread from heaven that came down. Looked like little spider webs on the ground, tasted like honey wafers, and they had water from the rock, water from the rock. Bread from heaven and water from the rock, and the rock, we're told here, was Christ. Notice that water from the rock and manna are children's food. Israel here are little children in the faith, but we've been moved to the grown-up table now in the new covenant with the fulfillment of the ages and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world, to rise from the dead, and to ascend to the right hand of the Father, now giving us forth his body and blood. And since we're mature in Christ, and since the kingdom has arrived, and since we are royal sons and daughters of the king, we eat like royalty. We eat bread and we drink wine. Going on to verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. The Israelites were delivered from their slavery and were made recipients of the old covenant sacraments, but they were overthrown. They were overthrown. The, the Greek verb there is katastrothason. It's an aorist third-person plural. It means this literally. They were strewn over. They were laid low in the wilderness. That's where we get our English word catastrophe from. It was a catastrophe. Everyone over 20 years of age died outside the land. Do you remember the story, kids? You see, when 
Israel came out of their slavery in Egypt. They came to the Red Sea and it parted. They passed through. They were supposed to go right into the promised land in a, a matter of months. They sent spies in, 12 spies into the land. Ten of them came back and said, there's giants in the land. We felt like we were insects before them. We're frightened. And they spread this among the people, and the people became fearful and faithless. But two men who were spies, Caleb and Joshua, said, the Lord is with us. We can take them. Hadn't they just seen the mighty hand of God destroy Egypt and destroy Pharaoh's army? And yet they were filled with fear and faithlessness. And so they all died outside the land. Now think about the implications of this. Baptized participants of the Lord's Supper in the Old Covenant. For indeed, bread from heaven and water from the rock was provided by Yahweh God. Baptized participants of the Lord's Supper in the Old Covenant died outside the land. They didn't stand on the rock. And we're told here this is an example for us. An example for us, friends, for baptized participants of the Lord's Supper and the New Covenant could die outside the land as well, the promised land to come at the final judgment. If you don't stand on the rock, stand on the rock. Let's go on to verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is speaking about the gold calf incident. Don't think that just because you don't bow down to a golden calf, you're good to go. In our modern age, we look back to these ancient ages and at pagans, and we think, well, look at all those idols. They had idols of stone. They had idols of wood. They had idols of metal. They bowed down to them. They, they put food sacrifices before them. I don't do that, so I'm good to go. The same Apostle Paul who writes these words in 1 Corinthians 10 says in Philippians chapter 3, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Friends, we don't need physical representations to make idols. We don't need to have little statues to make gods. We've got all the gods we could ever make right here in our hearts. And we make them all the time. We make them in our hearts and our minds. Money, power, sex, relationships, authority. Don't think just because you don't have little statues that you don't have idols. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This has a reference to three different incidents that happened way back in the books of the law. In Numbers chapter 25, Israel began to intermix with Moabites and Midianites. They had sex with the Moabites' daughters. Balaam the prophet came and gave advice to the Moabites and to the Midianites. He said, take your daughters and have them go seduce the men of Israel. And the Moabite women invited the Israelites to sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord's anger burned against his people, and he sent a plague, and 23,000 died. And it only stopped when Phinehas, the son of the high priest, killed a man who was sinning with a Midianite woman, cast them through with a spear. He killed them. He killed the sin. The plague stopped. Sexual immorality. The Moabite temptation 
is all around us. Pornography, the daughters and sons of the world who tempt us to go with them and do what they do. The next thing we see here is putting Christ to the test. Putting Christ to the test brought in fiery serpents among the people. It says this that led up to it, the people of God. We're doing this in Numbers 21.5. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. They said that they didn't have food and water, but God provided for them. These are the very people who, when God wanted to bring them into the promised land, did not trust him, who complained. They were always complaining. They were always saying that God brought them out to die. And at the end of the day, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Though they had 40 years in the wilderness, though they were fed, though they were clothed, though they had water to drink in the wilderness, and yet they were destroyed and fiery serpents came in. Why? Because they despised the gifts of God. They despised the grace of God. Friends, I want to say this. Don't despise the uncoolness of the church and the unprogressiveness of the faith. The word of God stands forever. The ways of God are above the ways of man. And when the culture tells you something that goes against the word of God, you go with the word of God. Can I hear an amen to that, brethren? Thirdly, grumbling. They grumbled. They grumbled constantly. They complained against the Lord. Friends, don't complain about the faith. And I want to say this, parents. Don't let your children complain either. Teach them to make church a priority. Going on to verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The whole of Scripture is a grand example of what to do and what not to do. And it's for us, says the Apostle Paul, the ones upon whom the end of the ages has come. The word of God tells us that on the day of Pentecost, the last days were launched. This age between the first and final advent of the Lord Jesus Christ is the last days. This is where all the action is. This is where all the fulfillments have come together. The Messiah has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured down upon us as the body of Christ. And the kingdom of God is going to the ends of the earth. And the word of God, the Old Testament, is an example for us. Don't become proud or stand on your own resources. These are dark days, but stand on the rock. If you don't want your family to fall, then men in particular, lead your families in the faith and stand on the rock. If you don't want your children to fall, teach them the word of God and make church a priority in your lives and stand on the rock. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you believe that, brethren? If you believe that, then you shouldn't be sitting around crying and saying, oh, I fell into that sin again. Why did God let that happen? God provides a way for you. He says he always does. If we believe it, then we should be looking for it. The Christian life is not easy. If anyone tells you the Christian walk is easy, they're telling you a lie. It's hard and even harder in a culture that increasingly despises the Christian faith. But I want to say this, brethren. We're in the body of Christ. 
and we've been staring down the darkness and bringing in the light for 2,000 years, stand on the rock. God doesn't promise you temptation-free life, but he does always promise you a way out, an escape. And the way out, the escape from temptation to sin, is to stand on the rock. Well, Skellig Michael is a small rock island, really just one big rock that stands off the lonely, stormy southwestern shore of Ireland. It's hard to get to, has steep sides, and is only about the length of the distance from here over to the park, and about half as wide. But when gloominess settled on the west in the dark ages, and pagan nations began to raid and conquer the British Isles, the Skellig Michael, which means Michael's Rock, stood as a safe haven, and its monastic community stood as a beacon of light in a dark age. It was a rock of refuge. In desperate times and places, you don't want to stand on shifting ground. Before trouble ever finds you, you should ensure that your life is founded on sturdy ground, solid, stable, immovable rock. And the rock was Christ. And the rock was Christ. And the rock is Christ. This morning, the Apostle Paul has told us in 1 Corinthians, that the wisest thing to do in life is to stand on the rock. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love and sending your son into the world. The rock, the rock of our salvation and the rock of the salvation of the world. We thank you for him and we ask you to bless us to hold firmly to the rock. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we've heard from the Lord through his word. Let us respond back with our tithes and offerings, our tribute to the king. <laughs> 